Blog Talk Radio. That's how we get better 
So, you know, we appreciate it. You know, there's some people out there that do not like the scent. I have absolutely no problem with it. Um, the scent is one thing. Abuse is something different. So, oh, yes, we have a problem with abuse, but no problem with the scent. Um, sometimes it's all about the presentation, right? So, you know, how we do basically have some announcements uh and I generally do that at the beginning of the show. And I want to talk about People of Color Beyond Faith. Our conference is coming up October 11th and 12th of this year. It will be held at CFI Los Angeles. So it will be in sunny Los Angeles, California. So we're looking forward to that. Um, you know, we have some dynamic, you know, speakers coming in. We're going to have some wonderful panels. Um, MC Brooks is going to be our MC, so we're really happy about that. We're going to have some music. Um, we have another musical guest coming in, and it's just going to be absolutely wonderful. Um, we're, we're really excited about this. And we're mostly excited about seeing you. We want you to be a part of this. You can go out to Eventbrite, E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E.com, and you can just put in People of Color Beyond Faith. It will bring our information up. Registration is only $40. $40, that's all we're, you know, asking for for registration. For students, it's $25. We did give the students a discount. And, again, this is going to be full of information. You know, um, we're going to have a really good time. You know, there's going to be some surprises. So, we're looking forward to all of that. So, again, the, um, registration is now open. You can do that, and we're looking forward to that. We're, we've ended, hold on, it ends tomorrow, our fundraiser, so you're still able to donate to that. But in addition to, you know, donating, you know, uh, money, we're also taking donations. You know, we're looking for school supplies, clothing, um, things like soap, um, you know, towels, things of that nature, because we're moving forward with the rest of our social justice programs. So we definitely want to do a back-to-school program in which, you know, we give some backpacks away with some school supplies, or maybe we'll just put together some boxes for some teachers and give them the supplies so that as the students run out of supplies throughout the year, you know, the teacher will have some extra ones there available because a lot of these teachers end up going in their pocket and spending money, spending their own money, and many of them, in all honesty, do not make a lot of money. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous the amount of money that they make in some cases. Um, some teachers are actually on food stamps um, in the people that are educating your children, those are the people that we should be making sure earn enough money. Uh, and I'm talking about good teachers. You have some teachers out there that really shouldn't be in the classrooms. We've seen plenty of examples of that over the years. And I'm talking about teachers that are excellent, like the teachers that I had growing up. Not, not all of my teachers were excellent. I can give you some examples. But I had some really wonderful, wonderful teachers over the years. And, you know, I was really grateful to have those people in my life because they encouraged me. And, you know, it helped shape me into the woman that I am today. So I still think about them. I, you know, I still love them. I still 
you know, care about them and, you know, and I can just only hope that the other students that were, there's, you know, um, that came through them over the years that, you know, they were as appreciative as I am. So anyway, getting back, we're taking physical donations. So, you know, we're looking forward to that. That information is on the Indiegogo site. So you can find that information out. I've posted it a few times, and um, I'll post it again later on today so that you all can go ahead and send in physical donations if that is what you prefer to do. You can also send in a donation directly through PayPal, and that would be peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. Again, that's peopleofcolorbeyondfaith at gmail.com. So you have that option as well. Another announcement, we have a webcast today. Today, People of Color Beyond Faith will be featuring Chocolate City Skeptics. So we're looking forward to speaking with them. We're looking forward to featuring them today. Um, it's going to be a really good time. And these are some young people um, out of the DMV, which is D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. So we're looking forward to MC Brooks, Raina Rhodes. In addition to that, we'll have Stephen Funches. He'll be with us as well. So that will be our webcast. You can find that information on YouTube. So just look up People of Color Beyond Faith on YouTube, or it's youtube.com slash POC Beyond Faith. So just, you know, look us up, subscribe to our channel. We appreciate it, and we're looking forward to speaking with you today. If you go back into the archives, we featured Black Atheists of Philadelphia two weeks ago. So that information is out there, and we encourage you to go and watch that webcast. We had a really good time with Shelton Henderson as well as Jim Taylor. So, again, we thank them for their participation. And for those that aren't familiar, um, Black Skeptics Los Angeles, Black Skeptics Chicago, Black Atheists of Philadelphia, in addition to Chocolate City Skeptics, we went out on June 27th of this year, which was National HIV Testing Day. And so we went out in those cities and we worked with some other organizations encouraging people to get tested for HIV. It's, you know, a finger prick. It takes less than 20 minutes. It's really about 10 minutes, and you get the results. And boom, just that quick and easy. You know, know your status. Know your status. That's very important. But I also wanted to let you know that you don't have to wait until, you know, National HIV Testing Day or World AIDS Day. We'll be back out on December 1st, World AIDS Day. But you can get tested at any time. You know, you can get free anonymous testing. So, you know, if you want to make sure that you preserve your anonymity, you know, it can be anonymous. That's not an issue. So, you know, go out there. You know, um, there are places all over that do the testing. Walgreens was part of that as well, um, part of the Greater Than AIDS project. So um, you can go out to greaterthanaids.com and get some information from there. And it's a wonderful organization that's doing great, great work. So wanted to let you guys know about that as well. So I think that concludes most of the announcements about the conference, <laughs> the fundraiser, the, do the donations and the webcast. You know, 
again, all very important projects. We have several more on the books. And again, you know, back to school donation, um, homeless project, you know, that's where the soap and the towels and, you know, other amenities come into play, um, hand sanitizer, things like that, things that we can take over to the homeless shelter to help people. Um, you know, I'm planning on moving to Los Angeles. I'm going to give them a bedroom set. I'm going to give it to a domestic violence shelter so that, you know, um, women that are starting over, at least somebody will be able to have a really nice bedroom set that I'm not taking with me. So, um, you know, there are things that you can do in the meantime as well. You can give to the homeless shelter. You can give to local domestic violence shelters. You know, a lot of these women are starting over, and especially some of us that, you know, have left the church and are no longer attending. You know, some of those really nice you know, skirt suits that we had that we were required to wear. Um, you know, I had to go through my closet. It's time to do spring cleaning, and I have plenty of um, clothing to give away, so I'm going to give that to a domestic violence shelter because these women need supplies. They need a way to start over. There are a lot of programs out there that can help them, you know, help them put together their resume help them, you know, learn how to interview, give them leads on jobs, but also give them the clothing, the attire needed in order to be able to be presentable when they go to these job interviews. And so all of these programs are extremely important. We're going to be more vocal about them in the future because a lot of people just don't know that these programs exist, but they do. And so people need help. And so, you know, as part of our social justice you know, initiatives. We're just trying to make sure that the information is out there, that it's available, that people know, you know, where to go and what to do. I mean, you can look for local places, you know. Um, you don't have to give to the Salvation Army or the Goodwill or anything. There are local, smaller organizations um, that can help. Some are faith-based, some are not. So, I mean, I understand how some you know, non-believers, some free thinkers, skeptics, atheists, you know, may not want to donate necessarily to faith-based um, organizations, but some of these women, they just need help. And sometimes we have to overlook some of those things, you know, because at the end of the day, it is about, you know, humanity and showing humanity to others. All right, so I'm going to move on from this here, but, you know, again, just look around. There are always people in need, especially with this economy. You know, there are people that need a variety of things. There are children that need clothing. So for those of you that have children that have grown up and you still have, you know, clothing left over, you know, they're looking for new and gently used items as well. You know, you can donate that to the shelter. You can donate that um, to the homeless shelter, to the domestic violence shelter, um, just a number of ways. So, you know, again, help us clean up some of this clutter. Um, you know, I think many of us have seen that show Hoarders. And, you know, for me, it just kind of takes me to another dimension. But anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. Another thing that I wanted to speak about today was register to vote. 
it is important that we register to vote. Um, I've been talking about it, you know, for a while. I, I, you know, bring this subject up periodically. And I know in January I was emphatically um, talking and pleading about registering to vote because I live in the state of Illinois. And initially when I went to the Department of Motor Vehicles, um, they were giving me a really hard time to register to vote, even though I had just renewed my, you know, driver's license, state ID, what have you. Um, that wasn't good enough for me to register to vote. Even though they had all of my information in the system, it was confirmed before they handed me my new identification, you know, to be renewed, I was not able to register to vote with that information. And so, you know, you know, I went and got a birth certificate, you know, uh, my Social Security card brought that in with me, you know, because I went back the next week. And that wasn't good enough. They wanted, you know, some, you know, they wanted um, information such as utility bills and some mail and all of that, and it was just absolutely ridiculous, um, you know. And so what happened was I called down to the Board of Elections, and I just wanted to confirm some information, and they had already confirmed my um, information that I needed to change. And, you know, I was already registered, so, you know, I didn't have to worry about that. They just sent me the new, you know, voter registration card. But um, that's the thing. It's getting more and more difficult, especially in states that have Republican governors, and or Republican state legislatures. That is the reason why I tell you all that, you know, it's, it's important for you to know who those people are. And it's important for you to vote locally because, you know, these are some of the laws that have changed, especially after the Supreme Court made the decision about, you know, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. So immediately North Carolina and a few other states enacted some, you know, changes in the law, and you just need to be aware of that. So please register to vote. We are now in a midterm, and it is imperative that we get out here and vote this midterm. Remember what happened the last time during the midterm, how um, the Democrats lost control of the House, and since then, you know, any type of real legislation has been locked up, absolutely locked up. They haven't really been able to get anything done. And if the Tea Partiers, who are favored to win this midterm, if they win and they take over the House and collect a few more seats in the Senate, this is going to be an absolute nightmare, especially if they're, you know, given the power, if there are enough of them elected to override a presidential veto. You know, those of you out there that are talking about they don't want to live in a theocracy, and I'm talking to believers as well as non-believers because, you know, there are many believers that believe in separation of church and state. I need non-believers to understand that, that we do have some allies that are believers that do believe that church and state should be separated. But the thing is we have to get out there. We have to vote. We need the numbers. There are people out there that don't believe that their vote counts. Yes, it does. 
It does, and it matters, and, you know, that also goes for your local. So you need to know who your mayor is, who your constable is, who your local aldermen or commissioners or, you know, what have you, the dog catcher, whomever. Vote. You know, you get to vote in judges, and it's just as important for you to know who these people are and know where they stand on these issues and to vote accordingly because the laws that are made locally have more of an effect on you than the federal laws. And, but, um, yeah, register to vote. You can register to vote in a number of places. You have Rock the Vote. You have, um, um, you know, just go out there and Google. You know, there are a bunch of places, and, you know, we just would advise you to get out there and to be active. At least understand the issues, understand where people stand, and to go from there. So, you know, I wanted to talk about that, but, you know, I just, you know, I'm really pleading with you guys. This midterm election, this is extremely, extremely important that you get out there. So um, you have that. And so we're going to move on. I'm going to talk about a few news stories, and then we're going to go on and talk about poverty pimps and crime profiteers. Um, it's just it's absolutely ridiculous what's happening out there. So, you know, we're going to get into that in a few. I see we already have Red Ninja on the line with us. Let me pull him in. Hey, Red, how you doing, honey? I'm doing excellent. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm yes, I can hear you very well. Thank you very kindly. Yes, sir. So yeah, I just finished, you know, talking about why it's so important for people to register to vote. Um, This is a midterm election. It's extremely important. Um, Those of you that want to call in for the show today, the guest call in number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, that's three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. You can Skype into the show. So what you do is you just click on the link that you know for the show up towards the telephone number at the top to the right. You'll see a big old blue S for Skype. Click that and you'll be able to connect into the show. But you got to press one to speak to the host. That's how I know that you're ready and you're available to speak to me, and that goes for the dial-in callers as well. So, um, yeah, it's just extremely important for people to know that, you know, you need to register to vote, and it's important that we get these donations in as well. You know, people forget simple things, you know, that are needed. And one of the issues that a lot of the homeless people have is, you know, to keep clean. So and many times they don't have the supplies like the hand sanitizer, the soap, towels, socks, things that, you know, we take for granted, you know, gloves, things that they need for the winter hats, um, you know, underwear, you know, things like that. These are things that are needed, things that can help them keep themselves clean. Um, and, and it's important that we just remember just little basic, simple things like that. Liquid soap, you know, bars of soap, actually bars of soap are more effective. But, you know, some people prefer liquid soap, and that's fine. But, you know, again, I'm just appealing to you guys. This is, you know, these are things that we need. These are things that we need to donate and to give these people so that they can maintain, you know, you know, not only their, you know, um, um, hygiene, but also, you know, their dignity. You know, sometimes people just need a hand up. 
that's all, just a little help. So, you know, we've seen examples of people who were once homeless that were able to turn their lives around. We've seen examples of how we were able to come together and help people out. You know, one example was the young woman in Phoenix, Phoenix, Arizona, that left her children in the car as she went to a job interview. She was um, vindicated. You know, they dropped the charges against her, but, you know, the people, us, us people, we all got together and donated money, and this woman was able to get a new start on life. We saw the story of the homeless man that gave the ring back to that couple, and people got together and, you know, that couple put together, you know, a fundraiser for him and raised enough money for him to start over. So, and you know, we've seen these shows um, um I forget the name of the show, but where it's, it's the CEOs and the presidents of these corporations, they go in and spend time with the employees, and the employees don't know who they are. I remember one moving episode, and I don't really watch the show, I'll just be honest with you, but I'll see clips here and there, and one clip in which, you know, the CEO of the company gave an employee that he just, you know, took to his heart, he gave her a check for over a couple of hundred thousand dollars gave her a raise and gave her a check so that her and her family could move out of the homeless shelter. You know, he gave her a new start. It's called hope. And having hope and giving people hope is not just relegated to faith-based organizations. It's not just relegated to the church. You know, there are ways that we can give people hope that we can, you know, encourage them to, you know, move on with their lives to improve. You're never too old to go back to school. You're never too old to learn. You're never too old to start over. You have people out here that have just given up. And, you know, we just want to encourage you that it can be done. I want to encourage the free thought, secular, atheist, Community, humanist community, you know, we can offer people hope. We can offer them an alternative. Many people do not know that they have options, and this is why I think it's important for us to get out here and to show our faces and to put forth an effort, an effort. You know, we may not always hit our goals, but we have to at least try and to show people, you know, and it gets bigger, it gets better. You know, the first year is always rocky. The first time out is always scary and rocky, but we have to take a stand. We have to step out there, and that is what we did when we went out on National HIV Testing Day. It was the first time that we tried that. We had four, you know, organizations stand up and step out. And that's what we need for you to do. We need you all to stand up, stand up for change, stand up for what is right. Anyway, so getting back to all of that, I just wanted to reiterate that, you know, thank you for allowing me to go on. But, yeah, we want you to register to vote. We want you to help local charities out. You know, we want you to donate to the local, you know, homeless shelter, domestic violence shelter. They need a chance to start over. So help them out. So instead of, you know, throwing away all of that food, you know, you go out to eat, 
you know, maybe go to a pizza place or what have you, and you bring, you know, several slices home, you intend to eat it, but, you know, in many cases, you know, we end up tossing it away. See somebody homeless, just give them the leftovers. Give them the leftovers. Um, you know, feed them. You know, so anyway, I'm done with that. Um, oh, I, I was going to say, too. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that um, when when you were talking about the elections, it's the thing that's very important about these midterm elections is that a lot of people are under the misapprehension that only the presidential elections matter. And um, that's a very big problem that we have to correct in terms of our understanding of the election process because, mm-hmm. you know, these movements start very small and they build up. So the more you participate in your elections – the more you're able to, it's almost like, it's almost like a form of evolution in a way because yes. when your candidate starts small, um, what tends to happen is that small changes start taking place first within, let's say, your particular district, then your city, um, and then as you start to participate in more elections, um, what happens is that your smaller officials start to influence more like the 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 um more important positions right and as you start to participate in elections for more important positions they start to turn into more influential um decision making that goes higher up in the chain and then as you get to the presidential election what happens is all those elections you participated in they start to ripple out into the presidential elections and more and more important choices are made from the macro level to the micro level. And that's basically a very long way of saying that if you participate in the local, it starts to branch beyond the local into the national. And these laws that are actually made start from people participating at a very macro level. And if the voices of the people are heard, Within the city, they'll start to be heard within the state, and as they go out into the state, they'll start to be heard into the nation. So the presidential elections always start at the macro level because your presidents don't just walk into the presidency out of nowhere. They start as mayors. They start as congressmen. They start as senators, um, and they branch their way up. So it's a misnomer to say that only the presidential elections matter because these presidents worked for your states and your school districts and your mayor's offices. And their approach to how to actually um, lead the people and make changes started very much at the city and county level, and people missed that. Exactly. So that's why, you know, I talk about all politics are local and, again, you know, the Republicans or basically the Tea Partiers and in particular Libertarians as well, they have been taking over the state legislatures. You know, they're taking over governorship, and you all need to be paying attention to what's happening. And Red is correct. You know, this is how people start out. You know, um, Barack Obama started out as a community activist. Then he went to the Illinois State Legislature, and then he was elected the um, federal senator, one of the federal senators, because we only get two, you know, from Illinois. And then from being a senator, he jumped to president. This is how they do. You know, Bill Clinton, well, he was the governor 
of Arkansas, and then he made his way up to president of the United States. And the reason why I bring those two up is because those were grassroots operations. Neither one of them were expected to win. They were long shots. I didn't think that Barack Obama had a chance in hell, just to be honest with you. And then we started seeing the momentum. And I was like, whoa, he has a shot. And it was just amazing to see their ground game. If you ever want to see how, you know, local people, average people like yourself and I were able to, you know, create this groundswell and to help a long shot win, look at how they operated his campaign. It was pure genius. You know, the people that were behind, you know, his grassroots operations, and they won on $5, $1, $20 donations. They won. And it took years you know, to do. You know, it wasn't exactly, a quick campaign. Exactly. Exactly. It took years to do it. It was very well planned, and, you know, it, it, it let you – Average people let grandma, you know, let grandpa feel empowered. You know, I remember seeing the news stories, seeing stories of people 102, 103 years of age that had never voted get out of the house. I'll give you an example. My grandmother had never voted in her life. They put her in a wheelchair, and they took her to vote first and only time my grandmother ever voted in her life was for Barack Obama. You know, that was inspirational. And, um, you know, it was just, wow, you know, that whole thing just, you know, whether you agree with Barack Obama or not, you know, just all of the, you know, support that he got, you know, it really was touching. It, It really was. So, you know, I'll be the first to admit that the night... In 2008, when it was announced that he won, you know, you know, you know, I shed a few tears for a number of reasons. Um, but we're not here to talk about that tonight. But you know, again, um, some good examples. We'll give you another example of, you know, you know, like Red was talking about micro and macro and the the groundswell and the upswell. You know, look at what's happening in North Carolina with Moral Mondays. You know, now we see that it has spread, you know, um, you know, Atlanta and a number of other cities because Atlanta is the capital of Georgia. You know, a lot of people don't realize that. But, um, you know, it's spreading around the country. Um, and that right there is something that, you know, we need to be a part of, you know, and especially us skeptics, us atheists, us nonbelievers and humanists. Where are you? Where are you? We need to be out here on the front line. I remember when Occupy Wall Street came to Chicago. I went out there a few times until people started getting arrested. And then I started making donations after that. You know, I wasn't trying to get arrested, um, um, you know, for the type of work that I do. Uh, I just can't do that. So um, it was just really interesting. But, you know, I was still supporting them. And there have been a lot of offshoots from Occupy Wall Street that are doing good work. Some of them are buying up old debt that a lot of these bottom feeding, you know, companies buy, 
and, you know, it's out of the statute of limitations, but what they do is they call you and they trick you into saying that you owe that debt to sort of reset the clock for another seven years. That's why they tell you to never say that you owe a debt or anything like that when someone calls you out the blue. So anyway, they're buying up the old debt, and they're just writing off those debts. So, you know, and there are a number of other things that are going on with them. So if you want to check some things out that started out very, very small and grew into major and are growing into major operations, those are just two examples right there. But that Moral Mondays, that should be happening across the country ever since it began. The first week that it began and I saw what was happening, you know, I started announcing it on the show because the mainstream news wasn't talking about these things. And so, you know, it's important that we talk about these things and that actually, you know, kind of um, segues into the topic today about the poverty pimps. You know, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, but I just wanted to say a few other things about what's happening um, in the community. Um, Every morning at 9 a.m., I have been tweeting out, well, actually I set up um, Hootsuite to tweet out to Congress, the Congressional Black Congress and Barack Obama about bring home our girls, you know, bring back our girls. And basically, um, you know, we had some members of the Congressional Black Caucus that had advised us that if we started tweeting at 9 a.m., that that will, you know, enable them to bring this, you know, topic up to Congress and be able to aid, you know, Nigeria in bringing back these young women or at least attempting to fight Boko Haram. So, you know, just look for that information. I had posted the link a while ago. I'll look for it again and put it out there again. But if you can at 9 a.m. daily, you know, with the hashtag bring back our girls, um, you know, tweet at Congress, the Congressional Black Caucus, Barack Obama, you know, President Obama, do that, please. Um, You know, I wanted to briefly speak about I Am Jada, and this is about a young woman by the name of Jada, 16-year-old young lady that was sexually assaulted, allegedly, while she was unconscious, Um, you know, so she was not coherent, if you will. And that video was being passed around, and she was being taunted, and basically she took back her agency. She took back ownership of the situation and we're standing behind her, you know, and and we're encouraging people to use that hashtag to send words of encouragement to her and other young women that have been in positions like this. If a young lady is asleep, if a young lady is inebriated or what have you, that does not give anyone the right to violate her. That does not, you know, no. That's, no. So we have a lot to do in this culture as far as rape culture is concerned. You know, we're talking about these issues, dealing with and these can, issues. Yes, sir. Uh, can I just say something about that um, that particular situation, huh? too? Because I, I think that's, huh? um, I think it's very important to point out that um, this is a major problem within Western culture in particular when it comes to yeah. what do we how do we address the topic of consent and do people know what it actually is? Um, because a lot of these situations, they very much develop 
because people have a very lax understanding of what the term consent really is and what isn't. And we often, you know, especially, you know, in American male culture, we have a very um, lax standard when it comes to what we find consensual or not. And that's a big problem because these situations, again, they start out very small. And, you know, they may start with an inappropriate joke. They may start with an inappropriate line. And a lot of, um, a lot of, our, a lot of men in general have a very big problem with knowing where to draw the line when it comes to, you know, whether males and females have an understanding of what is acceptable or not. And men, most, some men, not most, some have very much forgotten uh, the power of the word no. When exactly. In America, no means yes, and yes means no. And it's a lack of understanding of definitions, and in an inversion of definitions, that causes these situations to happen in the first place. So the, this young lady in particular uh, was put in a situation where basically you have a group of men who are taking advantage of somebody who is unable to say no exactly. and who was willing to say no and yet unable. And it's, it comes from this idea that, you know, men want a challenge and this false idea that, you know, um, men need to work harder to win the affections or to impress women that America has actually set up in our culture. And it's because we set up this game where we worship men for working just that little bit harder or overcoming that little bit more of, you know, women's protests and being able to say no. And America doesn't like the word no. It only wants to win. It only wants to dominate. It only wants to impose its will because – for in America, that's what men have to do in order to be considered men and high caliber in our society, and that's a big mistake. And it's not just in regards to sexual politics. It's in regards to all versions of relationships. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's friendship. It doesn't matter if it's family relations. It doesn't matter if it's husband and wife relations. Um, we have a lack of an understanding of consent and what it means to hear the word no and simply back off. And we also have a lack of um, understanding of what it means to just cross the line because exactly. we, you know, like we live in a culture in which men are just expected to dominate. And it, it's a tragedy because this woman was dominated. There was no consent. There was, there was no acknowledgement of, you know what, we're crossing the line. We shouldn't even be doing this because she has no power to make a decision at all. Exactly. And when you when that person is robbed of the power to make a decision, well, the the first thing that you should the first thing you should be able to stand back and say is, can she say yes or no? And if she can't, I really shouldn't be doing this at all. Exactly. But men, you know, American culture takes that as a sign of weakness to be able to say, to to be able to stand by because at that point it's like, well, you know. If she can't do anything, well, then it must be tacit consent because she isn't saying no, so therefore it's a yes, and I'm going to go for it. And she's exactly. earned that. And, and she's 
and, and, she, and this, this idea that um, if she couldn't say no, then she must have liked it deep down because otherwise she wouldn't be able to say no. It's just unreal. Exactly, exactly. And what Red Ninja, all of that is basically saying we need to teach men not to rape. We need to right. basically go out here and teach people what consent is, what non-consent is. And, you know, again, you know, you, you have a lot of different people out here, but I'm sorry, men do have self-control. You know, they have enough sense not to walk up to a cop and slam them in the face, well, most of them. But, you know, it's about, you know, <laughs> you know how that goes. But, yes, you know, it's important that, you know, we teach men not to rape. Um, I see we have a caller on the line. Let's see here. Let me pick up this call from 678. May I ask who's calling? Hello, how are you doing? This is Q calling from Atlanta. Hey, Q, how are you? I'm doing fair. Life is great. Excellent. Did you want to say anything about the subjects that we've been discussing? In particular, um, we are just discussing about I am Jada and, and basically teaching men not to rape, teaching them what is consent, what is not consent. Absolutely. Here's the unfortunate thing that I think happens here in America more so than other places. In other places, it's over-the-top, blatant rape, or it's over-the-top, not. Here, I think what has happened, at least since I've been alive, there's such a play around with the word that there's no accountability for both genders. Let me explain what I mean. I think we would have less of a problem, and I think the Jada situation would be more identifiable if there was an accountability for those who make the false claim versus those who make the actual real claim. Because what we've, what I think we've come down to, when the gentleman was talking about no, I think what we've come down to is the ability for one human being to be in a situation and then if they have any regret to make any claim that they see fit thereafter and hypothetically, if they were to be found uh, that they were disingenuous in their claim, there's no accountability at all for that, whether it be through... uh, I interrupt real quick because a woman has the right to say no at any time, even if it started out consensual and she changed her mind in the middle of the act. If she says no, that man has to stop. Right. I think you're not listening to what I'm saying. I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that point at all. No, you talk about women question. that make false claims, that make false charges. You know, there are some women that, after the fact, you know, but you know, there's this thing called. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't women who do that. You know, but what I'm saying is, in some cases, I've seen women who were who were co- coerced into sex or, you know, uh, under duress. You know, there have been situations like that. But, I mean, I understand fully where you're coming from, but please go ahead, finish your comment. 
Well, you would also say that there has been some uh, uh, situations where women were coerced into saying something that actually didn't happen. Would you agree with that? Um, people in general, yes. Men, women, children, yes. That's why I said human. So I think what happens, unfortunately, we have such a love for ladies, and especially the lady that has been violated, that we champion people who, even if the person said no two days later, in many thought processes, that still considers a, a, a no. Even if the person did not say no during the act, after the act, or in the middle of the act, as you suggest, but they said no a day later, we, in fact, champion that no. What I'm trying to suggest for the sake of mm-hmm. progress is that we have to hold accountable those human beings who, who use no to make individuals suffer and do not use no, as you've articulated, that they should use it in the middle, during, at any time. But what we're doing is a person says no a day later. There's no accountability for that person once we spend X amount of dollars finding out that they actually said it a day later. And what I'm suggesting is that in order to get progress, we have to hold both sides accountable for playing around with this uh, uh, stop sign. Until we get both sides accountable for playing around the stop sign, we'll always be chasing the male trying to make sure he suffers in some type of way. And the male will always be in a position of, no, she's lying. Outside of America, it happens less because that stop sign nobody really plays with. Either you did or you didn't. And if you didn't, you suffer a great penalty for lying. If you did, you know, you suffer a great penalty for for doing it, depending on what country you're in. I'm just suggesting for the sake of here, like the gentleman articulated, I think that when a person says no, you're very right, it's valid. But I don't think we get progress until we say to the person uh, who says it a day later, two days later, maybe he didn't break up with the husband like she like she thought was going to happen. I think until ladies get up and they say, no, sister, don't play around with that no thing. You need to use it seriously. I don't think we get progress. Well, okay, and it also depends on the situation because, again, that goes back to what I was saying about coercion and duress. So let's just say it was a situation in which, you know, um, it's a couple, a young lady, a young man, and, you know, he's like, please, you know how that scenario kind of plays out in some cases. And she's like, no, and then, you know, after an hour or so, here we go. And, you know, he pushes the situation, and in some cases, some young, you know, some women will say, okay, and then they'll think about it, and then they'll be like, no, that shouldn't have happened. I said no originally, and that's what I meant. So, I mean, it just, it's a matter of interpretation, and that's why we have the laws on the books, and yes, some of these laws need to be clear. They need to be very clear, um, and, and, in cases in which it is a false allegation, then, yes, there need to be some penalties. But, again, it's about defining the situation because, um, you know, back when, when I was younger, you know, um, I, I, I was in a situation which, you know, the answer was no. 
and the gentleman was relentless. And, you know, it just turned into a really, really negative um, situation. And, um, and it happens more often than, you know, people, you know, talk about. It's just that with the technology and the advent of the Internet, that more people are coming out and sharing their stories because there used to be a time when a man could rape his wife and it was not considered rape because they were married. And, you know, we had a situation in my family in which um, I had a relative that wanted to divorce, you know, her spouse. And, you know, he got angry and he kidnapped her and he violently raped her while they were still married. And he went to jail for 12 years for that. So it's about, you know, being able to define rape being able to look at the situation in its totality and 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 look at the law and apply it, you know, um, and and just really depends on the situation and what's happening. But, you know, men have been known to rape their wives. You know, like I said, again, in many cases and in different cultures, it is not considered rape because they are married. But, you know, can the I, laws have changed I? over the years. Certainly. Go ahead. I know. Um, I just I just want to mention one thing on 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 his point too. Um, when he when we're talking about uh, these kinds of situations, yes, it's true that there's the potential for you know like manipulation and you know psychological background that's not explored. But the other thing that we have to the other thing that we have to keep in mind as well is that we have to make sure that we're not automatically our priori um, making anyone out to be a liar or somebody right. who has false motivation. Um, but what we also what, what what one thing I will say is that we do have to make sure that we get both sides of the story and let evidence speak for itself. That's why we have things like you know rape kits. We have rape investigators. We have psychologists, and in cases in which a party is suing, we have lawyers, we have cross-examiners, and we have these kinds of things to make sure that we're getting a complete picture. And then once the complete picture is known, then we sort out what the responsibility is and what it's not. But you are innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the thing I was trying to point and one, I need to make one more point off of that, you know, and, you know, I agree with that. But one other thing we have to take into consideration is that in America, we live in a patriarchal, religious, hierarchical, you know, mindset. And so, um, and so basically we have to be cognizant of, in many cases, you know, it is, it used to be, and in some cases even still now, the woman is automatically at fault. The woman yeah. is, um, you know, automatically wrong in the situation because I've seen that happen in religious environments in which, oh, she was just being fast or, or she seduced him, you know, because, I mean, with that um, situation down in Florida with, you know, Reverend Gilbert, you know, all that, he got an underage girl pregnant. 
and, you know, he he violated her. And basically she decided to keep the baby. Her family pressured her into getting an abortion. She wouldn't do it. He called her a liar, said that she seduced him. Her family disowned him, I mean, disowned her. And what happened was she had the child. It was proven to be his kid. He went to jail. He got out. Now he's preaching at another church. They had to ban the children. They just, you know, um, uh, made some changes to his, you know, probation that allows children back in the church. But what I'm saying is we have to be careful because, you know, in this society, unfortunately, in many cases, it's blamed the woman, and it's because of the patriarchy. And well, yeah, I absolutely, and I, and I, I, I absolutely to. agree with that um, because in most religious cultures, you're it's the exact opposite. In religious cultures, you're guilty until proven innocent, and that's a mistake. And it, and that and with those particular situations, it comes down to um, ideology, and it's and 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 that in those particular instances, what's really happening is that. The victim is being blamed because, you know, in a religious culture, if something happens to you, more than likely you have done something to earn the wrath of God or the wrath of the man of God or the wrath of the woman of God. So it, what it is is that it's a complete inversion of the concept of justice that shows that you must be innocent until proven guilty, and that includes the victims. The victims have to be considered innocent until proven guilty. Whereas and only does, one, go ahead. And only one third of that was my point. Uh, my point was two thirds of none of none of those things. But uh, just on a topic basis, and just to share ideology, what I was trying to suggest is, in order to get solution, 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 solution for the ultimate goal, we must look at both genders as the gentleman suggested. Um, Sure, there's individual. I, I do disagree whether this is a patriotic uh, country, America, but um, we 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 must look at things like the 17 year old boy uh, in Warner Robins, Georgia, who sleeps with his 15 year old uh, uh, girlfriend, and uh, it's a consensual thing. But three days later, after talking to her father, it's all of a sudden rape, and he's facing 25 years. Uh, when we come to equality, the same people who say don't blame the victim need to then stand up and say, hey, that's two days later. Let's not do that because there's real victims getting. But when those people go silent, when the people who want to champion uh, the, the right of the word no, when they go silent and don't see the atrocity in that, then that's a problem. Second example, now, I do uh, applaud you having your personal examples, but I'm going to do something national. When you look at all the teachers, female teachers, in this two years alone, who astronomically are raping boys left and right, getting, getting pregnant by them and whatever, and when you <clears throat> see the minor charges that they get, Compared to the reverse, what I'm suggesting is in order to get total solution, that needs to be looked at by the people who champion no and who say uh, don't blame the victim. You need to be equal in everything and not just for your gender. And my last part, if you look at, let's say, the rapper Keith Chief, who at 17 years old has sex with a 30-year-old woman, and the 17-year-old boy was ordered to pay this 30-year-old woman child support, but the woman was not 
given any charge of statutory rape. When the people go silent and they don't say, you know what, that's also a case of inappropriate, regardless of the no factor, therein lies the problem because now we say to the same males, hey, it's always going to be unequal for you. Now, that's not my personal experience. That's just people I've seen. In order to get solution, both males and females have to be aboard, not just the males who are pro-female and not just the females who are pro-female. You have to get both sides on board if we're really trying to get solution. If we're just trying to say, keep it the way it is, the law says X, but it's going to be a wavy line for the other gender, we'll never have solution, and that's just my philosophy on that. Which is why okay, I now, also, which I just is, want to talk about a little bit about what he said about these female teachers and these young boys. That is just rape, period. These, you know, teachers and it's abuse of authority, and they should have the book thrown at them. Not in the eyes yeah. of the law when you get when, when you when you only get three months or you get an ankle bracelet. So in the eyes of the law, the same law that you quoted earlier, the the written language doesn't change, but these judges interpret it differently. And I'm going to quote the New York. I'm going to let you finish speaking, but I'm going to quote what the New York uh, judge said when the uh, first lady got caught. The very pretty white lady. You're too pretty to go to jail. End quote. But that doesn't Which have is, anything to do with feminists. You know, um, you know, not stepping up and saying that, um, you know, what that teacher did was wrong. That was the judge. That wasn't us, because there were many of us that said that they should have thrown the book at her. That was rape, and it was abuse of power. You know, so you know, we're not out here saying that she was she shouldn't go to jail. That's not the case. That was about the interpretation of the law how the lawyers presented their cases and how the judge decided that case. But that didn't have anything to do with feminists out here, you know, standing outside the courtroom with picket signs, you know, you know, standing behind her. No, if it's a grown woman having sex with an underage little boy, that is rape. There, no matter, there's no other way to look at that. And they deserve to have the book thrown at them. I don't get to determine how the judge sees that case and decides the case. I don't, you know, have the power to influence the jury. Um, but, I mean, in my opinion, women should get the same amount of time, you know, as men. But, unfortunately, in America, you get more time in jail for kicking somebody's dog than you would for shooting your neighbor. But, but can, I, can I also ask, too, I, I honestly mm -hmm. think that that particular situation that the gentleman brought up, mm -hmm. it kind of proves, in, in, in a way, it kind of proves um, the point that I actually like to make, which is that we have this idea, we have this concept in America that women are delicate flowers that are always victims and that are always, um, let's say, the less guilty but not party. all women but, not but it's all not women. but it's not what <laughs> well, <laughs> well okay so so here's so here's what I'm actually getting at so when we talk about the concept of patriarchy you know what what it is that we do in America is we basically take the stance of um men are the dominant species and women are the delicate flowers that need to be protected. And what tends to happen is that 
that concept of the delicate flower of a woman, um, in certain cases, that gets turned on its head in situations in which the woman is now the perpetrator. And if the woman gets off light, even though she clearly did wrong, um, from a very objective standpoint, what we do is we say, oh, well, the woman is such a delicate flower that she can't take as much punishment as the man who would be capable of doing the same thing. But in it, and really, if you think about it, this is yet another patriarchal, uh, patriarchal invention. Exactly. In the sense that, exactly. you know, men are looked at as being more guilty and more deserving of punishment for something because they are the more dominant species and are stronger and they're therefore capable of inflicting more pain when we do have to be objective in terms of how we look at, we shouldn't be looking at the sexual gender of the person. We should be looking at the weight of the crime itself. And on that part, I agree, but I also disagree with the, the, with the idea that therefore um, patriarchy does not exist because men tend to take more punishment. The fact that men t- tend to be looked at as, I would say, the more the colder species, the strong, the stronger species, the more um, I would say, the more defensive species, is an element of the patriarchy that the gentleman was saying does not exist. That's the point that I actually wanted to make. Excellent. Excellent. And so, you know, we all were able to make some points on that because I need to move on from that. We spent a little bit more time than I wanted on that subject. But, again, um, yeah, you know, we have to teach what consent is. We have to teach what rape is. We have to teach men not to rape. And, you know, just moving forward from there, but I agree about the laws and the interpretations of the laws. It needs to be the same for men and women in that particular situation. And I'm talking about the situation in which you have these older women, teachers, you know, abusing their power and having sexual relationships with these young boys. You know, that is rape. By just the very definition of the word rape, that is what it is. So I don't argue with that. And again, you know, this was a white woman, and, you know, it's different. But, you know, there have been some cases with, you know, some black teachers, some black female teachers that had sexual relations, you know, with their students. And, you know, in some of those cases, they were given a slap on the wrist as well. So, but in some other cases, we have to book at them as well. So we just have to look at these cases on an individual basis. But, again, with the interpretation of the law, it should be fair and equal. I agree with that. Oh, I, I, I know. I, I just never heard of anybody do it over two years. But I, I do like how, how the black lady went on Oprah back in the day and said she would do it again, too. Uh, so, you know, that's just her her thought process of how threat that she felt by the legal system for doing it. But, I mean, it, it is what it is. My only point of bringing it up, and I wasn't to deter you, it's just that, you know, in a conversation, uh, sometimes uh, I try to suggest that in order for us to get solutions, I have to look at your side as a feminist, your side as a lady, your side as a black woman, and it would be kind if uh, 
someone from that side would look, hey, this is what black guys or males or whatever go through. I think oh, yeah. uh, if we if we only say, hey, we want these guys to suffer or we want only the benefits to be uh, us as a women because we feel uh, less empowered, well, now guys are starting to say, say the same thing when uh, they feel as if this is a woman's country and not a man's. So they're not going to fight for it. They're not going to enlist. They're going to have the, the people who uh, are in control do all the heavy work from now on. So I'm just saying in order for us to get solutions, I think we both have to look at both sides. But, you know, I know you got other topics to move on to. I apologize. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. But, I mean, you know, and I appreciate, you know, what you brought to the table today. And, you know, one thing that I do want to stress that's, you know, uh, kind of misunderstood in, in, in our particular culture, um, feminists do not hate men. They really don't. Um, someone like me, I don't hate men. I have absolutely no emotional attachment to men. So I, I have no hate for them. Um it's just, it's really interesting. But, yeah, we're going to move on from that. Um, briefly, I want to talk about what happened to Eric Garner up in New York City, the New York Police Department that put that chokehold on him and killed him. He was asthmatic, and chokeholds are illegal for police officers to perform in New York City. I think that took effect in 1993. And this gentleman who was known as a gentle giant, you know, he lost his life. And de Blasio was saying that they're investigating, you know, what happened, and he canceled his trip overseas um, to, you know, spark that investigation with internal affairs. And, again, you know, we bring these examples up so people can know what's happening out there. I know you see it in social media, but these are things that we need to protest against. You know, the police officers said that he was selling loose cigarettes. He was saying that he had not sold anything and that they were harassing him. But, again, it was caught on video. It was caught, you know, that particular police officer had to turn in his badge and gun. And so we will monitor that case to see what happens in that particular situation. Um, you know, we've talked about policing in this country and what has been transpiring over the last several years. And so we need to pay attention to these things that are happening. And because it's getting, you know, more and more common to see these police officers, you know, killing people right on the street. And, and walking away, being exonerated, you know, and, you know, we have to talk about it. And, you know, we will have that conversation. Um, did you all want to say anything about that before I move on? Well, I wanted to say that um, that particular situation, um, it just ends up showing that this whole post-racial society that we want to imagine exists in America is bullshit. Exactly. And um, the police still have not learned that a gun and a badge does not equal, um, I would say, power over the individual that you should not overstep. I still think that the police have a Superman mentality that infects them. And yeah. when it comes to when it comes to the black community, I mean, it's just simply unavoidable. Because it's a, the thing is, the the way that so many of our black men and women are treated in the community by the police, 
is an extrapolation of this meme that black men and women are inherently dangerous and are not to be trusted with being civilized. They, they have to uncivilize us by being violent, by being over the top, by overstepping boundaries, because they think, they still think, most of them still think that that's what it takes to keep black people in line. And that is a slave meme that has been passed right. down for centuries. That we were, that because, that because um, we are considered another form of just a lower form of animal, that we have to be reined in with more over-the-top mechanisms because that's what's going to keep us um, in line in American citizens, and that's just complete bullshit. We're human beings who happen to be apes but are also human beings. Right. Here's a little research view of that very quickly. 1990, what we all did was we voted for this mandate auto insurance, which didn't help any of us individually. But the monster we created, or the Godzilla we created, is the police force that feels that he's God. So here's what his mandate is from your local city council. Make us money through tickets or whatever, arrest. We got this drug system that you could use to just arrest people and they can get lost in the system or whatever. And we got this traffic system. Well, now since Obama has successfully really killed the whole drug game, I mean, he's took out Mexican cartels, white guys who were in charge of the Mexican cartel you didn't even know about. So now that that's gone, there's no more evil drug dope dealer to pull into jail. I got to go after the hardworking person trying to make it to work. And that's where you're starting to see these conflicts. You're starting to see the guy who was brought from Kentucky or the mountains of Indiana who never even had any interaction with white, I mean, with, uh, with a white urban or black urban or Latin, he has all these opinions about people. Well, he's been given 30000 and a gun, 40000 and a gun, 60000 and a gun, and without any training or real-life training. Matter of fact, most of the people from the military don't even become police officers. So with that said, now he has no dope dealer to get. Now... It's like I got to just get somebody because city council's telling me I got to make X amount of arrests per pay period. Uh, you know, this is frustrating. So he can't deal with the average, no, I don't want to sign that ticket. He can't deal with the average, no, I don't think I was speeding. Now it's beating people up. Uh, the, the CHP officer beat the girl down just for walking on the, high, uh, on the dirt of the highway. You know what I'm saying? But guess what? They're not at fault. We're at fault because every time we have a vote for the city council, we vote the same people in, and they have the same mandate. Every time we have these votes for sheriff, we vote the same people in. So, in essence, we like how we're getting treated, most of us. I don't even – even if we didn't like it, I think, again, and this goes back to the conversation that you know we had earlier in regards to you know how important – Voting is at the at the city council level. Exactly. Even if we didn't like it, we're transparent to just how important these guys are. Because if the the the, the fact of the matter is, is that, and I, I and I, I want to say something too about this concept of you know the trigger happy cop. You got a lot of politicians that are trigger happy, trigger happy for um, minorities to be in jail too. The prison industrial complex 
is one of the most disastrous farces in America. Uh-huh. You know, you have corporations that are looking to actually make money from these very same arrests that these cops are actually making because the councils aren't the only ones just trying to make money. The military industrial complex outright has a stake in minorities actually going to prison and people going to prison. They have to make money from these arrests and they'll do it in any underhanded, dirty way that they can. And, you know, going back to, you know, who we vote and the sheriffs that we vote for, the fact of the matter is when black people and Latino people are being arrested and are being assaulted, the simple fact of the matter is we blame, you know, the presidency, we blame the Senate, we blame the congressmen, and they do have a small hand in this, but the fact of the matter is President Obama cannot oversee every single Alabama sergeant and cop and police captain who knowingly targets black people because he's not at that level. He's sitting on top of the hill. The fact of the matter is we forget that the people that are in charge of a lot of this conduct we forget that these people are supposed to be voted in the office to begin with. We're not actually even paying attention. It's not even a matter of whether we even like it or not. It's that we forget that these people get voted in in the first place. And we exactly. stop paying attention. Exactly. Right. And, you know, and that's, you know, what I'm talking about when I say crime profiteers, you know, because we segued into the topic. So, Basically, you know, when I'm talking about that, you know, like you brought up about the prison industrial complex, you know, and and Q brought up about how they're mandated to write so many tickets, you know, per month that they have their quota system put in. And, you know, basically what happens is a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, what's been happening with um, immigration and the deportations, um, there is money in that. There is money in that. The the airline service that takes these um, immigrants back to their country, they make more money than all of the other airlines. They make more money than United. They make more money than American, Southwest. There is money in this. They're making money from that, you know, many of these um, private jails because there has been a lot of privatization of the prison system. As a matter of fact, there are some that are on the New York Stock Exchange. You know, they are public entities, but, you know, they're privately owned in some cases. They have contracts with the state, and the contracts stipulate that they have a certain number of beds to fill, that the state is obligated to put a certain number of people to fill those beds. If there is no one in that bed, the state still gets charged. Otherwise, it's a breach of that contract. There is money to be made in all of this, um, you know, and, and this is what, you know, we're trying to get people to understand and to see. Um, and, you know, and as long and, as... Oh, let me make this next point that, that you talked about. Okay, go ahead. And Q, and Q brought up um, a really good point about, um, you know, I lost the point. Um well, we're talking about, you know, beds have to be filled. And, oh, when Q brought up, about um, shit, I lost it again. We're if I'm not mistaken, about... he was he was talking yeah. about. No, I, I think from what I remember, what he was what he was talking about, um, from what I remember, um, was the concept that a lot of people 
tend to like being treated that way. Um, and we, we've forgotten that, you know, the, he was mentioning that the police officers do see themselves as gods. They do see themselves as being above um, the treatment level that a lot of minorities know that they shouldn't be getting. And they, and they go out and they're trigger happy. You know, they don't get to arrest the pot dealers and the drug traffickers, so they have to go after the guy on the street. They have to go after um, the man trying to actually drive his way to work. They have to go after the 17-year-olds with hoodies on carrying right. bags of Reese's candy, and it's because they just can't wait to pull the trigger. They need ex- they need to dominate and exactly. exert their power to make, to put their foothold. And if they can do that just enough, then they can fill mm-hmm. up you know, the prison system, they can fill up the court system, they can get the mandates needed, they can get, you know, these families who are down on their luck to have to pay for the lawyers and the court fees and things of that nature, and it just goes back to the top. And it's right. free and money. It's a free lunch. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And so what you were saying, you know, just came back to me, with Secretary Holder and this war on drugs, you know, we have economists saying that we need to end this war on drugs because it has cultivated a lot of, you know, um, issues in many countries. You know, when he was talking about the gangs over in Latin America, you know, the drug lords and all of that, that war on drugs helped to bring that about. And I see you 360. Give me a minute and I'll pick up that call. And basically, you know, what's happening with Secretary Holder when they basically leveled out saying that people who were convicted of crack, you know, uh, crack, selling crack cocaine should have the same sentence as those selling cocaine because there were sentencing disparities. It was generally, you know, white people selling cocaine, they received a lesser sentence than some of the black people that were selling crack cocaine. And, you know, even with the legalization of marijuana in some of these states, now you see white men profiting from that by being able to open up these dispensaries and being able to sell marijuana, you know, legally while you have some blacks that are in jail for life for selling a nickel bag or a dime bag of drugs. And so, you know, Secretary Holder and Barack Obama, President Obama, they're doing a great job as far as trying to end this war on drugs, trying to deal with the, you know, irregularities in the sentencing and, 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 you know, it's more to it than that. But let's bring this caller into the conversation. 360, may I ask who's calling? This is Travis. Hey, Travis. Hey, hey how y'all doing? I'm calling from the uh, the land of Seattle where the uh, where marriage is equal and, and weed is legal. <laughs> so, um, yeah, people here, when they were talking about whether or not to vote for it to be legal, my argument was, well, hey, uh, you got to vote for it to be legal because they're only arresting us. <laughs> okay, so don't be so don't be no black fool trying to argue for something to be illegal that they only putting us in jail for. Forget that. Don't do that at all. Don't get into yeah. the uh, business of the medical marijuana and get you some funds going. You know, with some medicines. You know, they said that a lot of the uh, money that comes from uh, for uh, uh, keeping it illegal is actually coming from the oxycontin uh, people. Yes, 
Yes, yeah. a lot of people a lot of people don't realize that people who have read that people who, you know, use crack cocaine, if you will, some of them are functional and they do work. And so, you know, they can step away from that particular drug for a short amount of time so that they can pass the, you know, the um, test test, if you will. But uh, many of them take those pills, the Oxycontin, to give them the same high that the crack would. So, you know, while Oxycontin is legal, you can have your, you know, your doctor give you a prescription for that, you know, there is an abuse of that as well. But, you know, going back to something that Travis said, you know, about some of the people that wanted to vote no to legalize marijuana, some of that come from, you know, the churches, if you will. Yeah, and they exactly. They people to go out and vote against that thing, and they're voting against their own people. But the thing is, is that... Um, it's just interesting because, see, then you won't have people going to their churches needing deliverance exactly. from marijuana, and they won't be able to get money from those individuals. And so, you know, again, even with some of these preachers, they have you voting against your best interest, but not only that, some of these so-called speakers for the black community will have us voting against our own best interest as well, because I remember back when Ronald Reagan was in office and they started the war on drugs, you saw a lot of these you know, preachers out here, black and white and Latino, and that this was not realized what was happening was, you know, it was going to set up, you know, these drug lords, it was going to set up an entire underworld in this particular country, but in addition to that, you know, some of the people that we consider as oppressors are making money off of this. They're becoming billionaires, you know, and interestingly yeah. enough, you know, um, companies and corporations and some of these people are invested in some of these um Prison, you know, corporations. Exactly what I was going to say, Kim. How yeah, many, how many, how many communities have given money to a preacher who then went around and put uh, his money into the stock market in some of these privatized prisons? So now you got a preacher who's taking the community's money, making profits off putting the community in jail. Woo! Well, well, here's the issue that 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 I, I used to stay in Seattle, and Seattle uh, actually rented. But Seattle's number one problem uh, is the black community's number one problem because, uh, you know, there's not, you, you know, there's a section of black folks. And what the section of black folks in, the, in, the, in America don't understand is just because you have a disagreement with your neighbor, let's say he's a crackhead, doesn't mean he's necessarily against you. And that's the problem the black community has. They think that everybody who is not like them is against them, and that isn't necessarily true. The crackhead, many a times, is looking out for you more so than your white neighbor, your Latin neighbor, your Pakistani neighbor. And I had to to stop your house from getting robbed before somebody else will, because they know that you give them five dollars every week. Right, right, and that's the point. <laughs> right, and, and, see, and see, like, 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 in, like in Seattle specifically, the reason why some of the officers have been caught in some of the most ferocious, uh, ferocious, <laughs> horrific type of things. That's a new word. Yeah, my, let's take that as a new word. It's a great ac- uh, accident, 
and let's start calling it white ferociousness. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know what? Because, hey, 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 because have you noticed they picked up every other hip-hop thing that I see on CNN? But anyway, my point is, is that uh, just like the uh, uh, mandate auto insurance thing I mentioned earlier, black folks have this unfortunate problem that they have fear of each other, more so fear of the person that's smiling next to them. And you, you, you have to understand, even if I disagree with this uh, gay person, feminist, uh, militant, whatever the case may be, I still need to have the heart of group mentality that they're more so concerned about me than the other. And when we start getting away from that, when we start identifying with classism as opposed to uh, struggle, those who, who, have to, who, who may suffer the same struggle, then we disconnect ourselves and we're just a tragedy away from saying, oh, what happened? You see, what happened was, and now we're in the conundrum. And what happened was you thought I was a problem when it was uh, wealth privilege all the time. How about that? That's uh, really and, what it is. And can I also throw in something, too? Um, a lot of this, a lot of the attitude of, you know, the class system that we do bring in, um, generally speak, not I, actually in most cases, the topic of classism is fostered by a lot of the black churches, unfortunately. Classism and, is? How so? Well, well it's, it's because of this. Um, From what direction? You, what, you'll, what you'll notice in a lot of black communities, in a lot of poor communities, is that, and I don't know if this is mainly on the same topic, but, I mean, you're free to challenge me on this, but one thing I have noticed is that in the black church, um, one thing that preachers tend to say is that if you're doing bad, it's because you're not doing well enough in the sight of God. Yeah, they yeah they, they continue that it's your fault type of mentality. Exactly. Uh, one of the one of the things we we, we started breaking down this week is uh, I'm really sick and tired of people talking about. Well, I made the right choices, choices, choices. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. Uh, we need to make a list and need to start checking people who start blaming the option list for the choices they made. If you don't have any options, you got nothing but bad choices to make. And so to right. act like that person is, is, is awful because they chose the best of bad options is it, it, right. a certain type of sickness that they've been doing a lot lately. It's, a lot, it's, it's more of that uh, you're uh, sinful, uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's a lot of those same yeah. uh, religious concepts that's going to stick on people. Um, well, you know what? I made this suggestion uh, as far as that's concerned, and, and please, I hope the lady host doesn't get on me too much for what I'm about to say. But it, I, I said to a group of ladies, and, we were, and, and the topic was in and around dating, I said, I work in medical, which is a female-dominated industry. I said, you know, when you as a lady sit down to a job, make, starting off 10, 16 an hour, and you're topping out at 24, 30, without any real effort, you're just showing up. You can't identify with a guy who goes to a warehouse job for eight and he's dreaming of ten. There's always going to be a disconnect. If you go to college and you have all these women-only dorms or these women-only dorms at a discounted rate, of course you're going to graduate uh, with less pressure to find housing. Or if you have these women-only grants. And it's not to say that it's your fault that those things exist. 
It's just that you cannot identify with the person who doesn't have those things. And the last point, as it relates to church and classism, notice in most churches they don't edify the men at all. They have a lot of prog- they got a lot of programs to edify the ladies, what they're going through, whatever the case may be. The men are downtrodden and in servitude many a times. Matter of fact, yep. that's the only thing they're teaching men is servitude. And yeah, I'm not saying that's and, and, and I'm not saying trash. that's wrong. And and I'm not saying that's wrong. But it those wrong. two combined <laughs> create a classism mechanism in a human being's mind that I am there so better than they. But then the Bible really teaches to the by by, by the grace of God, therefore go you. So, you know. Okay, well, well, let me jump in here. Let me jump in here because um, you're talking about how the black church basically, you know, um, edifies women and not necessarily men. There's a reason for that because the majority, you know, 70 to 80 percent of regular churchgoers are women. And so they're yeah. basically they're edifying these women so that they can get in their pockets and get their and so money can, and yeah. make them so yeah, they can, so they can extract worth. money exactly. from the man's pocket through those women. Like we were talking about this, uh, a friend of mine who is um, uh, irreligious uh, said to me, he said people get mad at him as a brother, to get, he said people get mad at him for dating a white girl. He said, but how hard would I have to work to try to find a sister that is irreligious, who's not all up in the church? And I said... It'd be like trying to find a needle in a weave stack. Oh, come on, Travis. <laughs> you know, just, just, you know, I'm just going to move no, no, on look, from look, there. Maybe, maybe in Seattle, maybe in Seattle you could do it because it's pretty irreligious. But if you're in the Bible Belt, man, that's a rough one. Yeah, and I Come mean, on. it is hard to find, yeah. you know, black yeah. women that are Needle not that non-believers. You know, that's funny. Yeah, you yeah. You don't need a believe that, honey. I know, I okay, know, but also, I know. To go back to what you're saying, the preacher, the preacher mm-hmm. is the parasite. The pre- it's Ingersoll. He said the parasite of the woman is the priest. That's true. Right? That's true. Yeah. And, and he's steadily eating away at her, eating away at her finances, um, eating away at what's happening, you know, and, I mean, there's article out, um, let me see here, what, this was in Black Bulldog, and it was talking about how church donations, you know, that's why there's a lack of appreciation on black money, why there's a lack of money, and that's where, you know, where I'm coming to with the poverty pimps, is that, you know, a lot of the money that, you know, we black people can invest in our communities, invest in ourselves, invest in our futures, invest in our children, so on and so forth. A lot of that money is going into the church, but also the industries that help to build the church. So, you know, unfortunately, in in many of our communities, you know, kind of tying it into something that was said earlier, you know, you can be poor, but people don't want to look poor. They want to drive well. They want to dress well. So, you know, that money is going into to, you know, clothing, that money is going into the park, that money is going into allowing them to have this, this false image, if you will. Um, you know, if you, if you deal with some of the people that I know that are billionaires, these people are a lot of money. If you saw them, you would think that they were homeless. 
in some cases because they don't spend their money on clothing. They don't spend their money on cars. They invest that money in businesses and in their futures and in their children's futures. But, um, you know, I'm saying all that to say this is that, well, you know, a lot of these preachers, black, white, Latino, across the board, you know, they know what they're doing when they're catering to women. They're catering to women because that's the majority of their audience. And women generally keep and keep the books for the house. They generally uh-huh. control the majority of the money. And so by teaching them that in some cases they, you know, the 10% tithe, if you go to one of those churches that's really bent on the Old Testament, they're paying 30% of their money. So they're tithing 30%. And that money goes back into the church for them to do what they Not only are they robbing their and, and policing their flock, but also, you know, with the tax, you know, the and they're trying and, too, and, Kim. And if you free. give those people, let me finish. Let me finish my point, Travis. But you know, they're not paying taxes on that. Many of these churches have a large portfolio of property, so they're not paying taxes on that. They're taking taxes out of the local out of the local communities and then people are complaining about the schools, they're complaining about the infrastructure, they're complaining about, you know, the lack of jobs and that is a part of it. Go ahead, Travis. You're right. Uh Ingersoll said if churches don't pay property taxes, then anyone who does pay property taxes is paying the salary of the priest, preacher or pastor or whatever you want to call it. Uh I like the laundromats. I gotta, I gotta run back in here, but I wanted to hit you with something that uh, I hadn't said to too many people yet. Which is, did you see the thing about Tyler Perry now owning the rights to the phrase "What would Jesus do"? How he stole it? Yes. No, he owns it now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he owns it now, right? How he stole it? Yeah. So what I said was, I said, "Oh, Tyler Perry want to know what Jesus would do." Well, uh, Jesus wouldn't. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, would pay his writers and actors. Jesus wouldn't be a billionaire trying to get more money. Uh, Jesus wouldn't be anti-gay and in the closet at the same time. Um, I said Jesus wouldn't be sticking new mumbling Negroes in our faces every couple of months. Jesus wouldn't be making uh, black movies that black people with a brain can't watch without getting a migraine. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> well, you know, you know what? In defense, in defense, I'm, I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Oh, really? In defense, in defense of the well, you know, intellectually I can, but in defense of the uh, pimps, the uh, uh, prosperity pimps. Here's the unfortunate yeah. thing that I that I tell people all the time: if the devil is helping more people than the person with the opinion, who's really evil? Let me say it again, because I know it's, it's, it's a horrific thing. But when the devil helps more people toward success, toward their own personal success, versus the people who have opinion, therein lies the problem. Okay, Many I don't pastors, get that. I don't, I don't get that well, 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 let me finish. If you let me finish. If you let me finish. Yeah. If you let me finish. If you, if you have people who are perceived as evil or not or disingenuous by one group, let me say it that way. And you have that group not do nearly enough as what that person they have a critique on, therein lies the problem. We do have these people that take advantage of the community and it's blatant. 
But then we also have people who never lift a finger decade after decade to do anything. Creating this show is a great creation, and it is doing something. You have people who haven't created a show. You have people who haven't volunteered one time in this decade. And so while we critique these prosperity tips, which I won't say that you shouldn't do, I also say to people, what do you do? Because it's all about the black community at the end of the day. But if we're only in critique mode, aren't we more of a problem than a prosperity pimp? No, we are not. No, more no, of a problem. Absolutely. No, we not. are not. That absolutely is a false. That's so and, ridiculous. And I'll tell you what. And can I say something about that? So prosperity Sorry, preachers. Okay. So prosperity preachers in particular. The thing we have to remember is that yes, they do things for the community. But what are they doing with that money? They are taking 70 to 80% of that money, and they're putting it back into the church. Not only that, but they are also funding anti-gay laws and activities, and they're going to Congress. These guys are not helping at all. They're not helping. You can't pretend they're helping or they're not helping. I have a right to critique them. When they are sending money back to the government to fund theocracy, I have a right to critique them. And the black people who are going to these churches deserve to know about that. And the reason why they don't raise their voices is because they are intimidated out of raising their voices. I have no respect. But that's why it's important to have people like us out here speaking out. And that's why I say it's important for, you know, the atheists and the secular and and, and the community to get out here, to start volunteering, to start our own programs, to show people that they have alternatives, that they have options. And, yes, we should get loud because they're trying to change this country into a theocracy. And as far as the prosperity comes Concerned, there was an art. There was an article that came out this week, as a matter of fact, talking about how Creflo Dollar is worth 100 times more than his average member. 100 times more. That is a lot of money. As a matter of fact, Creflo Dollar is trying to find a way how to take world changers to the open market. He wants to IPO. See, so. Um, you know, these are things that we need to be aware of. He's trying to sell shares of his pipistry, if you will. And, so, and um, ma'am, I agree with you. <laughs> and, and ma'am, I agree with you because you just because because you just made my point very very quickly. You stated the people should get out and create and let people know that there are options. My only devil's advocate argument is that when the same people do not follow her advice. They're more of a problem than the people who are out doing and we're saying you can't call them more of a problem, man. You can't call them more of a problem. That's like saying that's like when the bigots say that uh, you're more of a problem for pointing out the racism than the racists. That's to say you're saying the exact same wrong thing. Can I can I also say too that there are people who are doing good work outside of the church that don't get noticed. Right? There are people that are actually creating secular charities that don't get noticed, exactly. and there are people within the communities that are actually trying to do their best with funds to actually create, you know, like Doctors Without Borders, Atheists for the Homeless. You have all these That's programs right. out here that don't actually get noticed, and it's because their resources are – that. you know what? 
to tell a black person in the community that you're an atheist, but you're trying to help them, and they will look at you as if you were the devil himself. Exactly. If they expose themselves as not being a part of the church, that money will dry up faster than you can snap your finger. But wait, 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 because we had some problems when we were trying to get situated for, you know, um, National HIV Testing Day because I was, you know, coordinating that and we had some issues because there were some organizations that did not want to work with us because we were secular. But there were other organizations that said they didn't care, they just needed help. And we went in and we helped them. And the thing is, is that um, you're correct about the donations drying up because this, and this is the problem that I have with the atheist community. For those who aren't aware, every Thursday we have a Twitter chat on people of color beyond faith. So, you know, you can find us on Twitter. But I've been having a problem with the atheist community on a number of levels. We have put out um, um, an Indiegogo for fundraisers to get money to help us with these social justice programs. We raised $320. It may be more now. I didn't check today. But, you know, this is like the last week. We only have a couple of more days left. But, you know, we had problems even getting that. You know, we were looking for 3000 But we had a gentleman who wanted to try atheism out for a year. He was an able-bodied white man with two jobs, not one, two two jobs at two Christian, you know, um, schools, and they terminated him because of his project. Now, one of an atheist in the community decided to do a GoFundMe to raise $5,000 to help this gentleman out. They raised well over $15,000 in a matter of a couple of days. People are willing to give money for a billboard, willing to give people money to try atheism out just so that they can give a middle finger to the church, but they're not willing to donate to those of us that are out here in the community that are stepping out and actually trying to help people. And, you know, um, Jen, Jen Taylor from Black Atheists of Philadelphia, she even wrote a blog for us, and we posted that, giving pictures and showing people. And, I mean, I have pictures from what I did here in Chicago of what we achieved by going out. But, you know, you know, it, it's, it's like, and, you know. And you proved my point again. And you proved my point again. I'm not. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying mm-hmm. uh, you. You proved my point yet again. Is that? Uh, and that's what I was disagreeing with the gentleman in Seattle. If a person is drowning, and the person A and B perceives that the person is drowning, and the 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 the, the disingenuous person holds out a stick and leans across the water to try to save the person, while the other person yells on what they should be doing. Who is the person going to have gratitude to once they get out the water? And that's, that's where, where, where it ends and begins. I'm not saying one group is better. I'm not, I've, I've read seven different religions. So I, I'm not saying one group is better. I'm saying the group that helps the person out the water, they're more genuine to the person that was drowning than the person on the other side of the bank yelling out what they should do. And no matter what group you're in, Atheism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, I don't care. Well, no matter what group you're in, when your group does not group together to do what they say they want to do, therein lies the problem. And that's why these prosperity people clean up. It's because as wrong as they may be through the eyes of whomever, they're doing X, Y, Z 
to the person that's drowning. Travis? As long as they're paying their tithes. The poverty pimp, the prosperity pimp, it's because they're dealing with such a small uh, uh, field of, of, of activity. So if they're a poverty pimp, they try to get you to uh, believe that any money that comes into your life uh, uh, was done by God, and that means you've got to give them right. some. That's their game. Right. So their game and their exactly. circumference is so small, okay? They don't actually do anything. They just take credit <laughs> for other people doing things, okay? They don't do right. anything, okay? They take That's credit perfect. for people doing mm-hmm. things. And so, and so yes, and sure, fine. If a scoundrel so, 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 takes credit for what good people do and, and, and nobody points it out, I still look. I, I still am under the idea that until you know about it, you can't care about it. Okay, until you know about it. Okay, and I was, and I really the title of my title of my new album being recorded, I think January second, third, and fourth in in Seattle is uh, until you know, you can't give a fuck. Okay. And see, and the thing is, is that part of what you said is absolutely true. You know, they're taking credit. You know, people went out and applied for those jobs online, and then a, a job came through. And then, you know, some of these preachers say, "Well, we prayed for you. You know, where is our ten percent?" Exactly. If you will. And and and. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, because I used to belong to one of these prosperity churches, and this is something that I've seen with my own eyes, is that if you are a member of that church and you are tithing and giving offerings, and let's say you're active in a church, you know, you're one of their willing workers, so you're part of the missionary team or whatever, and you fall upon hard times and you go to the church for help, first thing they look at is the amount of money that you've given, you know, as far as tithing and offering is concerned. Have you been helping around the church, meaning volunteering for free, you know, giving services? And then in some cases, not all, in some cases they will help you. But while they help you, they sit you down from your ministry that you're helping in, and they tell you that you are not a good steward over God's money. And basically they're compounding to your situation because now they've embarrassed you and humiliated you from sitting down from for trying to help, but, and, but then telling you that you are they're blaming the victim again, you know, here we go, you know, you were a good it's steward your over again. God's money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, there are a lot of things. That you see, this, if you had not been paying tithes and offerings, they will turn you around. Now, with the exception of the Light Heat CETA program, what you do is you go in and you need help with your bills, your electric, or your gas. That is a federal program. They can help that. They're providing an office space, and they're providing somebody in the church or the community a job to input your data. But the thing is that that money is not coming from the church, but they sell the illusion that the church is helping you with your gas and light bills. And this is why I say it's important that we get out here, we establish our offices, 
offer some of the same programs because it's a federal program, and we can give somebody in the atheist community that lives in that community, you know, a job, a part-time job, and even train people in the community to come in, rotate it out every six months to give people some, you know, office experience so that they can now go out and get a job. So, I mean, there are ways that you can utilize that, but, um, again, you know, people, anyone who's been listening to this show and anyone who knows me knows that I'm about getting back into the community. We've been talking about it. I've been encouraging people, and it just got to the point that I'm sick and tired of talking about it, and now we're out here doing it, and we need help. We need donations. We need people to work with us. I know there's some people in the atheist community that do not want us to work with liberal, progressive churches, but we can't get the people in the atheist community to come out and help. Right. We get a right. field, see, but we don't have But is there a community yet? Is there really a community yet, or is it just a pockets of twos and threes spread all across this country? There's always so the been a community, is, but okay, there's individuals. I got I to I, I say something, because with Chicago, with Black Skeptic Chicago, we have well over, well, we'll just say about 150 people that subscribe to our meetup page. We have, you know, 20, 25, 30 people that show up to certain meetups that we have, like when we had a, um, a meetup. Yeah, we had a meetup not too long ago in which we had stepping classes. So they were in there stepping and partying, and, you know, we provide food and all of that. We'll have 10, 15, 20 people show up to that in our movie nights, but when it's time to get out here and do the National HIV uh, testing outreach, when it's time to get out here and touch the homeless and to help them, it's only one, two, or three people. And to me, that's bullshit. But that means you need more members, right? So you got three out of 150 people to come hang out and help out the homeless, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So you got three yeah. out of 150. What's that? That's what? Uh, I can't even do the math in my head. What's that like? Um, I like do the math. 2%. Like 2%. Yeah, 2%. Well, that's usually it's less than that, right? So you're doing better. Like sometimes to get people to help you, sometimes you get a half a percent a return on certain things. So we can get 2% return. You're doing better than a lot of than a lot of things. You got to look at it like that kind of. Hang on no. I, I want to let I want to let Q speak. I want to let Q speak. No, he dropped. He dropped. Oh, okay. Okay, well, so here's my thing. We we can go on we can go on about like, you know, what the black church is doing. And here's the thing. I'm not going to take away from like a lot of the black churches, because some black churches are sincere and wanting to help the black community. And exactly. some atheist groups are not sincere about wanting to help the black community. And I think that that is a problem. Yes. But on the sum total of things, what you will find is that the people that we are criticizing are not helping even when they are trying to help because that right. help ain't free. Right. It help ain't help. Look, if you're telling one person and they believe you that there's a devil or a hell, you didn't help. You increased the sorrow and fear in the community. You, you, you increased the superstition and stupidity. And how many of those people are taking that money and that servitude and all their good deeds and using it against the very women and men that they, are, that they are telling to the public that they're actually helping. This whole thing about, like, you know, Hobby Lobby and, like, them wanting to take away the rights to birth control. I mean, come on. Now, how is that helping anybody? 
in any community, ever. Right, exactly. How are you helping? And that's what I'm talking about because, um, you know, again, because, I mean, I critique the atheist community on the show, and I've been really critiquing them pretty hard on Twitter every Thursday when we do the Twitter chat. And basically, you know, I'm looking at, you know, some of these larger organizations, and I'm looking at them like, you know, many of them, consider social justice activism and work as mission drift, and they don't want any parts of it, and unfortunately you have some atheists out here calling atheism plus people pussies, and, you know, that's bullshit. You know, they're trying to get out here and help the communities, but the thing is is that these, some of these larger organizations, again, will will donate money to to CPAC, you know, because one atheist organization sent representatives to CPAC to try to entice CPAC members to come over to the atheist community. And the majority of those people are are known racist, homophobes, sexist, so on and so forth, and they're trying to recruit them over here. Now, for those of us that are of color, that should be a red flag to us, you know, because, you know, uh, it's like, you know, you know what are what is their objective? But they don't want to give money to social justice. They don't want to talk about social justice. They say those of us that are advocating for social justice, they say that we are being divisive. They say that it's mission driven. They're trying to get everybody on the same page. Well, they haven't. You know, they haven't defined their mission. They have not shown us an agenda. Right now, as far as I'm concerned, their agenda is to put billboards up and to piss off the black community and to destroy the black community. That is how I'm starting to see it, you know, and, you know, some people may say that I'm being jaded, but as far as what they have shown to me, and in particular with that billboard in Philadelphia, what happened was they sat down with the Jewish community, they sat down with the Muslim community, they came to a consensus as to what would be um, what would be acceptable in their communities for a billboard. They put that up, nobody was offended, life went on. The black community, they put that offensive slavery billboard up and didn't give a damn until we started saying something and the black, you know, um, activists started saying something. Then they turned around and asked a few token blacks in the atheist community who are desperate to be put on. They are desperate for that power. They are Let me tell you, because the thing is, is that when they went and they asked these people, in return, they gave these people opportunities to speak. In return, they gave these people free tables at their conferences. See, so in return for them saying that it was okay to put that billboard up in the black community, some of these black atheists used that as a platform to spring from so that they could get some recognition and be put in front of the atheist community. And it's bullshit because that, that billboard was offensive. Now, that scripture is in the Bible. I don't argue that. But my thing is, where is the consideration? Why didn't they sit down with representatives from the black community to see what would be okay like they did with the other communities? They showed those other communities respect. And what they did with so the black community was disrespectful. And as a matter of fact, the local atheist um, group that that um, that partnered with that large organization, they have since apologized from that, and they withdrew from that campaign. So if a um, a mostly black group, let's say 95% black group, 
who is mm-hmm. anti-theist, put up that billboard, it'd be a way less thing to say to them, correct? Because you can you can call them out for doing it, but you can't really call them out for doing it because if it's true, right? But when a Not white organization sure. does it in the primarily in the black neighborhood, I'm like, well, wait a minute, man, why are you over here? Um, no, kind of like um, that's that's untrue because I call some of these organizations out as well, and we're going into overtime, everybody. Dial three one zero nine eight two four two seven three if you want to hear the rest of this. Three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. The only way you will be able to hear it is to dial in. We're going into overtime, and no, I call out black organizations for um, some of the things that they say and do in the black community as well. So no, it's not just because that was a white organization. There are some black organizations. I'll just go ahead and be candid about this with Jeremiah mm-hmm. Kamara in his movie Contradictions. I call that out. Jeremiah, you know, has not declared whether he's a believer or a non-believer. We have yet to figure that out. But he's under Ray Hagan's, Reverend Pastor Ray Hagan's. That's a reverend, that's a pastor, even though he's a little differently from the Bible, but he still uses the Bible. He'll tell people how the Bible was written, how it came into existence, and then he'll tell them to turn to the book of First or Second Corinthians and teach from the same Bible that he says is false. But the thing is, is that they are black nationalists, and you know, and and the thing is, is that black nationalism is not the same as black Christianity. Black nationalists consider themselves secular. And what they do is they already have a problem with the black church because they serve a white Jesus. And they say, well, come over here and serve these black, you know, gods that we have over here. But they have a problem with the black Christian community, and many of them are using the atheist community as a shield and as a jump off. Even though many of them are homophobic and other things. Yeah, Uh Yeah, I was just saying, like, I'm pretty sure that some of them – I'm pretty sure that some of them are from that, like, Hotep thing that's yeah. going on. Like, Do you remember when we had uh, – uh, it was back when – way back when Tracy Morgan had a bit where the line in it was, if I had a gay son, I'd stab him. And so that day, the title of the, uh, of the Funny to the Moon show was, uh, How Are You Going to Be Black and Anti-Gay? And a, black, and a black supremacist woman. Uh, who's anti-gay, called the show and started telling us the reason why gay people aren't born gay is because, she said, the womb has dignity. And we all at the same time went, what? <laughs> what? But, 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 that's some, but, but you know, but that's that's some of what they teach in the church. And so, so when you said about me calling, you know, not calling out black groups yeah. for doing the same thing, yes, I have, yes, I have, and you know, I've named names and I've given examples about the homophobia, the sexism, the misogyny, the transphobia, the racism. Because with excuse me, with the black nationalists, this is the reason why they line up with some of the people in the white atheist community because there are some white atheists that are white supremacists. And with the black mm-hmm. nationalists, but white supremacists, 
supremacists in, in black faith. They're black supremacists. So there, there is a congruence there. And so their messages line up, which is why the atheist community provides a good shield for them. And there are those of us that are over here throwing up the white flag saying no, 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 no to either side. It's bullshit. It's the same thing. And this is why right. we're coming out. And this is why I'm hitting them. And I'm starting to hit them hard. I critique them. I have been critiquing them you know, for the past month, if you go to the hashtag POC Beyond Chat, I have been asking questions. I've asked the black atheist community, why are you chasing after people who only view you as a resource and nothing more? Why are you, you know, it, it, it's bullshit. They don't want to give anything to the minorities community to help us out. They, they have an interest in minorities, yes, as a resource, but they have no interest in minority issues. You're going to be black. You are going to be black and you are going to remain black. That shit is not going to change. It is not going to change. And so things and there are changes and there, you know, that have to be done in the black community. And if I have to get out here and protect the black community and in some cases protect the black church from these idiots, that's what I'm going to do. And when I do protect and shield the black church from some things, it's not because I believe in their Bible or I believe in their theology or I agree with it, but it's the fact that I know what these fools are trying to do. And it's like hell to the no. Because in, in, in it, for the most part, the black church, you know, fulfills a lot of different voids in our community. The black church is like the focal point. It's like a community center um, in the black community. This is where you can go to get help with your gas bill and your light bill. In some cases, this is where you can send your kids so that they will have something to do. Now, they're being taught a bunch of bullshit, and I believe that in many cases indoctrination is child abuse. I mean, so, I mean, I just want to make sure – I'm making my stance clear. But the thing is is that it gives people something to do in our community. At one point in time, the black church was the only place that a single woman or a married woman could go without arousing suspicion. Okay, so, you know, we have to look at the tradition. We have to look at all of that and, and look at the purpose of the black church and what it was you know, for originally it has been strayed, but, you know, in some cases it still remains the same. And I just have a lot of distrust of what's happening out here in the atheist community. And in some cases, yes, I will defend the black church because the thing is is that the white Bible, the white Christianity, the white church, that was used out of fear and to oppress black people with many black people. And I'm talking about the beginning of Christianity after we were forced to accept it. The black church was used as a shield to shield us from white supremacy. The black church was a way to give us hope. It was a way to survive. Living in slavery, you know, it could not have been an easy feat, despite what the Tea Partiers are out here saying, that the slaves were happy and that they were singing and dancing. Just because you're in a miserable situation doesn't mean that you can't try to find some joy in your life, some happiness. So, I mean, it's a lot going on, and I'm going to have to, you know, end this because we have a webcast in 55 minutes, and i got to start setting up for that. But, um it's a lot that's happening on the atheist community, and I am critiquing them. And it's one thing that's happening now that I am very wary of, and these atheist churches popping up. I have an issue with that. I understand this church is a social construct. 
we are social beings, but I'm starting to see a lot of groupthink and a lot a lot of tribalism within the atheist uh-huh. community. And, and I'm trying to make sure that, you know, with these so-called atheist churches, that they do not become what they have been rallying against, meaning that it doesn't words, become about making money, just, about yeah. control. Right, and I was going to say, like, in yeah. other words, let's not allow atheism to become a religion. Exactly. 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 Right, because that's exactly, and you know, I want to come back to one point that you were talking about with a lot of the um, atheist organizations. Um, The thing that pisses me off is that so there are so many atheists that are just focused on being against religion, but what are they actually doing to give them? But it's like you can't take something away without giving them something in return. You can't you can't pull exactly. the rug underneath the religious person and not expect to give them something else in return to help fill the rug exactly. that you just pulled from underneath them. They need exactly. a way of actually being able to live their lives, to carry themselves in their communities apart from the religion. That's the whole point. But if you're going to exactly. come up here and, like, this whole thing about, you know, Republicans and CPAC and all this, it, and I'm just going to say right now um, how I feel about this. The fact that the American Atheists Incorporated are actually going out trying to court these guys um, exactly. is really like a slap in the face to the very thing that they yes. say they're trying to protect people from. Really? Why yes. the hell are you not protecting the American the atheists? atheists? Yes. Yes. They still yes. i got to find out because I'm supposed to be speaking for some group in Seattle uh, August 7th through the 10th. I thought that was a group. So what you do, Wait a minute. What you do, what you do is you look up CPAC Atheist, C-P-A-C Atheist, and you will see that American Atheists sent, you know, a group of people to CPAC. It was Dave Silverman, Dave Moscato, Jamila Bay went with them, and a few other people, and they went there to try to court you know, um, um, these conservatives, these tea partiers, these libertarians, and a lot of these people are sexist, they're homophobic, they're transphobic, they're racist, everything that the atheist community say that they stand against. And they're trying to court these people. And this is why I've been raising the red flags and the white flags, like somebody pay attention to what's happening over here. Because I'm like, you know, in, in, in it's shift. There's a shift okay. that's happening in the atheist community, and I don't like the way that it's going, especially with the economic mm-hmm. climate that we are now living in, because what's happening is you have these so-called patriots of America, and there's a lot of white resentment against black and brown people, and they are becoming more emboldened. The hate groups went up when Barack Obama was elected. The hate groups went up by, I think they said, 300-something percent. And so a lot of this is happening, and, you know, this is why I'm cautioning people. If they're trying to bring in people who advocate for things that the atheist community about, what's going on? Is this a zero-sum game? What the hell is happening here? It's a trap. Pay attention. And and then why are you so against religion that you're not actually focused on other injustices that are actually happening outside of religion? Why aren't we focused on poverty? Why aren't we focused on sex education? Why aren't we actually focused on trying to lift the black, the Latino, poor, and again, this is not just black. White people are poor too. Latino people exactly. are poor too. Asian people are mm-hmm. poor too. And you have to be able to focus on building a better world because when you die, when these atheist organizations realize 
that they're going to go on without having done anything for the very people that they're trying to snap out of religious delusion, they will realize that they should have done more to help create a better world for these communities and not just be against the very religion that they're trying to instigate. You know, and the, one other um, thing that I want to caution against, one, and I'm going to let Travis talk after this, one other thing I want to caution on is, unfortunately, some of these so-called atheist leaders, in particular Dawkins, Sam Harris, and Christopher Hitchens when he was alive, but you know you can still get his information, they are Islamophobes. They are against those people, and you're going to see a, a rise of people against, you know, Muslims, which are predominantly brown people. And basically what's happening in is this ushering in more fascist, fascism in this country, and you're going to see more fascism in this country and other countries as well, because over in France in particular, they have been taking to the streets, and, um, you know, um, um, Nazism and, and fascism has been making a rise in France, as well as over in England and in Germany. It's Coming back and it's starting to come back in the United States as well. So this is why we talk about these different subjects and we tell people to pay attention, to be aware of what's happening, and to go and research and understand these organizations that they call themselves supporting. Look it up, Travis. We have no reason to lie to you. Go ahead. Look up what? About the CPAC atheist, American atheist. No, 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 that's Board not what, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, what I'm saying is, uh, the group I'm speaking for is the Atheist Alliance of America. I don't know uh, if that's, you know. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've it, heard of them, but I don't know very much about them. Okay, so it's like me. Uh, who else is speaking? Steve Hill. Uh, you guys maybe have heard of him or met him at one of these conventions. Right. His brother looks like Samuel Jackson and shit. Um, yeah, um, he, he fronts <laughs> for Jeremiah Kamara. He fronts for Jeremiah Kamara. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's gonna be there. Um, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm coming in because Ingersoll's birthday is 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 August 11th, and this thing is right. uh, the 10th, 7th through the 10th. So I'm gonna bring some Ingersoll, who brings it, you know. Um, right. And uh, you know, do some stand up, blah 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 blah. But if um, if there's something about these, yeah, because um, Tana and I were doing a thing. They wanted us to uh, trolling. With Logic, wanted us to do a thing for Engineers Without Borders. And Excellent. We, yeah, well, yeah we, we thought it was, Kim. We thought it was. Um, until Tana researched Engineers Without Borders and saw that some of their sponsors are oil companies and shit. And, uh-huh. uh, and uh, when – so I just happened to tune in early to see that they were doing like atheist like uh, marathon, right? So I was like tuning in to see who one of these other shows were. And on other shows, one of the guys thought he was like a, a shock jockey type person. And someone in the chat room says to him, uh, what's your favorite racist joke? And I'm like, in my head, he better not even answer this question. And he did. Right. And he did. And because to me, even asking that question would be like asking, you know, uh, what's your favorite position for child rape? You know what I mean? It's just it's sick. Exactly. Even, exactly. Even and but see, that's the problem that I had. We had some black atheists go on the Thinking Atheist show, and mm-hmm. you know what the thing is is that he was on there asking about the N word and why they can't, you know, why white people can't use the N word, and the, the, the three or four black people that they had there representing the atheist community were absolutely clueless. 
and they were on there talking about black people should be bootstrapping. All of this bullshit. And it's well, white you know, the answer to that is about the, about the N-word? The answer to that N-word question, real quickly, Kim, is mm-hmm. why would you want to? Exactly. Right. Okay. Exactly. What type of exactly. joy are you missing in your life? You need to let nigger roll off your Exactly. But see, the thing is, is that with the people that they had on that program, you know, with the exception of one possibly, you know, I'm not quite sure where this person stands, but, you know, they want so desperately to be atheist celebrities. They want so desperately to be the Uh black face of atheism. They want that. So they're willing to capitulate to a lot of these white atheists and what they're thinking, these white organizations and what they want them to do, but they are not looking at the big picture and seeing the long-term effects of some of the decisions that these organizations and they themselves are making. And that's because they are blinded by the possibility of power, privilege, and money. And what they still haven't realized is that they're not white men with with a third leg. You're not going to make as much money as Richard Dawkins. He's worth $135 million, but that's not because of the atheist community. It's because of his profession. He makes a lot of money off of his books and these speaking honorariums. And I'm going to say this, and then we're going to have to move on. But, um, you know, Richard Dawkins starts at a minimum of $50,000 to speak for 15 minutes. That is his honorarium. That is his bottom price. Then you have to pay for him and his entourage for their rooms, their airfare, their food, everything. And what they give a lot of these black speakers, they come, they give them a free table so you can sell your own goods, but then they give them like $50 or $100, and they'll give them a free room. To me, that's bullshit, and that's the reason why I say they see you as a resource, a resource to get into the black community to try to get black members, but most importantly, to try to get that black money because they know that we have been trained to give, to give, and to give until it hurts. And they know that, and the majority of them are libertarians. And so for the people that think that the libertarians believe in this, you know, share the wealth, you're in for a big surprise because their stance is getting as much money and bleeding as much money from people as they possibly can. It's about having all the toys and being able to run home with them all. That's yeah, it's about. and like you know, like that's a, that's another thing. Like Libertarian Party, like you know, Pendulet. When I found out that this dude denied global warming, I'm like, what in the fuck? That he did not what? He denied global warming. He thinks global what? warming is false. This this so, guy out of every like this, <laughs> it's like of all people who emphasize yeah. critical thinking and thinking for yourself. And not letting dogma cloud your judgment or your decision-making. This guy says global warming is false and is overrated and denies that it's a problem. That guy. And he's a little... So this is why you Well, what if somebody said it, 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 that it was false or that it was fake and it was like Y2K... And uh, before we start worrying about saving the planet, how about we empty the prisons? <laughs> what if somebody yeah, argues that? You have a lot of different people out there, you know. But anyway, guys, I got to run. Yeah, I have to go. get ready for you the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all right, so well, we'll all may, we may do a show we'll later on. Back up. I think um, mm-hmm. next week I'm going to be tough starting. Oh, just let me make the announcement. I think next week I'm going to start my civil rights series. I'm still thinking about it. I'm going to do a three-part series on the civil rights movement. 
And I'm going to take it from Slavery to W.E.B. Du Bois. That's the first one. The second one, picking up from W.E.B. Du Bois to, you know, a slightly a little bit after the death of Martin Luther King. And that's the second part. And the third part will be picking it up from a little bit after Martin Luther King's death and the um, Poor People's Campaign up till now and what's happening. So, you know, I have a three-part, but there's a couple of books that I want to you know, more books that I want to read, but um, we may pick that up next week or I may push it back a week, but I'm going to do a three-part series on the civil rights movement. I'm reading these books and getting some research done because I want to make sure that I present it and I present it correctly. So next week's show uh, is up for grabs, what it may be, but we will be back next Sunday, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, and again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I thank Red Ninja. I thank Travis from Funny to the Moon. They have some shows on Blog Talk, and they have another venue. If you go out and look for the Big Funny, you'll be able to find their information, and you can find them on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus as well. So join us in 40 minutes for Chocolate City Skeptics, and we'll be on live in about 40 minutes, guys. i got to go and do something to my hair and put some clothes on. So you all take it easy. Thanks for joining us today, and, you know, have a wonderful weekend. We appreciate you. Much love. Good night. Have a night.